Hey, Claire. Yes? When was the last time you had a microphone in front of a live audience? <laughs> I was doing karaoke with you in Barcelona and our friend Joffre was dressed as Elsa from Frozen. Mm-hmm. And do you think that prepared you for this live <laughs> podcast recording that we did in Brunswick? I mean, I'm sure it didn't hinder it. I'm pumped that somebody trusted us with microphones. How did we even end up doing this thing live? Yeah, so Testing Grounds trusted us with microphones uh, (laughs) and invited us to do a live interview at their 260 space in Brunswick. And we asked our wildly talented friend Yo, whose pronouns are he, him, if he'd like to be our guest. And it all came together really beautifully. Mm, And this was the first time we've done anything like this live. So... It was very nerve-wracking, but it was also really fun. Yeah, and since it's live, there's some very Melbourne Saturday morning sounds like trams and traffic Mm. in the background. And since it's us, there's a language warning. Yes. (laughs) Should we find out what Yo eats? Let's do it. Good afternoon. Hello. We're here. We are here. Before we begin, I'd like to acknowledge that we are gathered here today on the stolen lands of the Wurundjeri people, whose culture of sharing food and gathering over food is part of the oldest living culture in the world. So to be here gathered today to discuss our love of food and the cultural and the artistic and other narratives that come with it is a real privilege and it's just so lovely to be out here and to be joined by a live audience here in Brunswick in the sun. We have with us a wonderful, wonderful guest and dear friend, Yo, who is a musician, a producer, a DJ. I mean, a a bit of a shape-shifting musical collaborator and um, musical artist whose work not only features collaborations with artists from here in Melbourne, but also around the world. He's been releasing music steadily for over a decade, has played nationally and internationally, including performances at Iceland, Airwaves Festival, tours in Ecuador, USA, Canada, and in Australia. You might recognise Yo if you don't already know him from his appearances on Speaks and Specs, a favourite of ours and just around town digging through produce at your local market and lastly his Instagram which is a huge outlet for his food appreciation uh, which we'll dive into in the interview but uh, you can find him at his handle snacks with yo which should reveal something about why we're so excited to have him here with us on this podcast So welcome, Yo. Thank you. Thank you so much. (laughs) Thanks for having me. Claire, what are we doing here? We are now here thanks to our wonderful friends at 260 and Sightworks. And we can't wait to find out what Yo eats. (laughs) Everything. Everything. There's not much Amazing. (laughs) Because it's fun. Eating's fun. The way that you express that fun through your Instagram is just so joyous. And people could just find you on Instagram and not even know that there's this musician behind there. So can you tell us about who you are as an artist for those who maybe haven't listened to your music before? Can you describe, like, give us a timeline of, of your practice? I mean, the, the way I got into music was I, I wasn't really good at anything else at school. So music was the one subject that I got good grades in. And I played piano as a kid. I did like a degree in music technology. So learning how to produce and record and uh, do live sound and stuff like that too. So audio is a as a is a big part of my like theoretical background. But yeah, I think I, well, I released my first song DIY at the age of nineteen, and it got played on national radio. And um, kind of since then, I got hooked to creating for myself. I think the one element that stayed true through my entire career is I'm very strong uh, in terms of my DIY ethic. Like I like to do a lot of things myself because I find learning how to do new things a really exciting part of the process. But yeah, in terms of genre, I've done pop, 
R&B. There was like, there's an old record, like my first record has like a reggae song on there. Um, I used to play in metal bands. I've done some like real cheeky hip hop stuff like that not many people hear very often, which is fine. I'm happy that that stays buried. But yeah, I just, I'm also just a big copier. Like I like, find music I like and I just copy it. And that's pretty much what I've been doing for like 14 years or something. I don't know. Is that because you kind of want to get under the surface of what's going on and with a producer mind, you want to kind of find out how those sounds are made and that curiosity, is that sort of what drives that yeah. idea? Yeah, I'm the, I was the bratty kid who would like, if something wasn't working, I would pull it apart, try and fix it myself and then put it back together again. 50-50 in terms of the success rate. But yeah. my attitude is... If it's already broken, there's no harm in breaking it further to try and make it work again. Like, that's not always the best uh, choice, but <laughs> it's fun. Can I interject and ask if any of that relates to your cooking? Do you approach your cooking in any, any of those ways? I do get brave, mm. yeah. And I, there are some things that are irreversible. Like if you, if you over-season something, sometimes it's too difficult to pull it back. So I've learned some harsh lessons from that. For sure. <laughs> so, what is hashtag hot uncle shit? <laughs> that is my next question. Straight into the deep question. Yeah, yeah no, fair, Please explain fair question. That. Um, there's this great trope of like the single uncle or auntie or just like unattached person in like a familial context where you are free to kind of enjoy yourself in a sense and then like share that enjoyment with anyone else around who who wants to be there and you are generally a slightly older figure as well and I, I am getting old so I definitely feel that way um, but yeah when you're alone you have time to do cool stuff like use a wok with a high powered burner on your balcony and no, and no one will disturb you and no one will care <laughs> and um Stuff like that. So, and, you know, the way that it translates into more mainstream culture is like there's memes around that are like once you reach 30 as a man, you learn how to smoke meat or um, what's the other one? Brew your own beer. And it's like, Definitely, yeah. so I reckon that's the like East Asian analogy to that is like we learn how to like barbecue pork or <laughs> stir fry with a wok properly outside. <laughs> yeah. So, have you reached hot uncle status? Do you feel like you're, you're there? I, I'm definitely an uncle. I don't okay. know if I'm a hot uncle. I'm, <laughs> I'll, take the, I'll take the uncle's stuff, yeah. <laughs> and so, culturally, I guess, your ancestral background, mm. how has that impacted your music and your cooking? Musically, it's a confusing one because I very openly are influenced by a lot of black music because that's mm -hmm. what I grew up listening to. So, like, I reference that all the time. I can't... I don't ever want to hide that, you know. Like, I'm a huge R&B and hip-hop fan and that's, like, very clear in my music. And a lot of pop music in general is influenced by that mm -hmm. um, and I'm influenced by a lot of pop music. So, it all, it all filters kind of from black music. But um, lately, exploring kind of my Eastern Asian roots and stuff like that, I'm still seeing that black music influence come through that. So a lot of pop music that I listen that's currently coming out and it's from East Asia, I'm still drawn to that. So there's a lot of like East Asian R&B and East Asian pop, like, because the zeitgeist right now is like Korean music and is like focused on Korean music. And then like, I love K-pop, but I like, I, I love KR&B even more if that makes sense and in terms so. of the zeitgeist do you think like you could break that down a little bit more in terms of what actually is going on so obviously k-pop is enormous mm. what what else is happening like that you've noticed in a positive light i just think that like east asians are starting to be represented a little bit more in mainstream culture and so that's really cool i think that's really cool we still get racially typified and whatnot you know there's still issues there but it's nice just to be visible because growing up, like I said, watching TV and stuff, we, you know, I grew up with this chef called Yan Can Cook and he was the most, even though he was great, it was like, 
he was making this food that was clearly for white people and it was like i don't know who the producers were of the show but it was like he he was he was just such a trope it was really you know and i thought that was normal growing up because i'm a kid i don't know any better mm. so now it's it's nice to see like really hyper stylized cool asian people influencing western countries and stuff like that so but in terms of how my ancestral background affected affects my cooking it's really interesting because i've i've had to kind of learn backwards i've had to go backwards i i taught myself how to cook properly in my 20s when i moved out of home and the first stuff i was making was like really simple pasta bakes and like a casserole. I don't Same. <laughs> like, right? <laughs> yeah. And then it's like, I think about the dishes that I really want to eat and what I go out to a restaurant and pay for. Well, if I want to learn how to make that stuff to like, you know, share with my friends, how do I do that? And a lot of that comes out of love. So in, in my family and familial culture and, and stuff like that, affection is shown by... Like how much you feed someone. Yes. Yeah. I love cultures that. Yeah. that it's not show even the question way. isn't how are you. It's have you eaten yet? That's the yes. question. You know, when when some, when your mom sees you or when your auntie or uncle sees you. Yeah. So are your family feeders? Uh definitely. Yeah. yeah, I would say so. We used to have these sayings. Mum used to say this thing to me. It's problematic, but she would say, every grain of rice left on your plate that you don't eat is a pimple on your future wife's face. <laughs> and it's like, okay, so you want me to eat everything. It's like, yeah, and, and, and don't waste and all the usual yeah. cliche sayings. Yeah. 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 My mum and dad are from Malaysia, yeah. uh, Penang and uh, Kelantan specifically. And in Malaysia, in terms of food, it's a real melting pot. This is beautiful mix of stuff happening. Yeah. Is there anywhere in Melbourne that's Malaysian or Malaysian Chinese that you love to eat at? Malaymas is kind of the yes. stalwart in, mm-hmm. in the area that I used to live in, yep. um, in Northcote. Really unpretentious and just just a great spot. Yeah, yeah. everyone loves Malaymas. Mm. <laughs> and was there someone who taught you how to cook when you were younger? Like, do you have memories of somebody either in your family or... Maybe on TV, maybe maybe this chef that, that you really remember that spark, that moment when you started to pay attention to food and cooking. I need to talk about my mom. I think she's, she's a really interesting food-related presence in my life. So she wasn't a good cook when I was young. She was cooking to like in a very functional way. So there was this, I remember very clearly, she would feed me a lot of like congee, which I now hate. Some I'm pe- obsessed with Some people love it. I hate it. I don't Although hate it. Clearly, you only really had it for the first... We, well, we both kind of made it for the first time only recently. So, I can imagine like as someone who grew up with it, eating it heaps. Mm. Yeah. Whereas for us, it's like, oh my God, it was, as soon as you said congee, Claire's face Sorry, just my face lit up. Just lit up. My, <laughs> so I don't, my I heart mean, rate like, just went up. I don't despise it because <laughs> I, it's just not my first choice. I have had really delicious bowls. Like sometimes when friends make it for me, I can't say no. When and then, like, I'll go to a like really awesome hawker store where they like mix the pork, like, rendered fat into it, and it's like (laughs) insane with salt fish and stuff, salted fish and stuff. But growing up, it was sick poor people's food, which I mean, there's plenty of sick poor people's food that's delicious, but congee Mm. to me is not one of them. (laughs) And um, so, mum was functional, and then in my later years she learned how to cook all the like Malaysian classics really well and really healthily. So in terms of like seeing someone go from not that great to fantastic, I was like, well, then anyone can do this. Mm. So maybe I should give it a shot. The other thing with my mum is she was the one that taught me to make those easy meals with the casseroles and the pasta bakes and the stuff like that. Right. So in a sense, she did, get me started she yeah. got me in the kitchen mm. and yeah. it was like out of necessity too because i was living by myself she's like well i better show you a few things <laughs> i was like okay cool yeah i mean the evolution is quite amazing to see because what you put up on instagram the dishes that you're making and like the the techniques you're using are really traditional um and and the food clearly speaks of that pride of your lineage so, do you feel like that 
has only happened recently when where you've been really looking back to your foods um, of your lineage or did your mum kind of teach you a couple of those classic dishes as well? I think, I mean, because she reached a really proficient level way before I did. It was just more in my adult life that I that she did. But I just remember flying back to, because I'm from Brisbane, but I flew home to Brizzy to, to stay with her for a couple of weeks and she made this chicken curry that I was like, there's nothing that tastes like this unless you go to Malaysia. And then you also managed to do it with like hardly any salt and hardly any sugar and no MSG. And it's like, how do you, that's impressive to me to make me, to, to bring, you know how like food, something's good when it makes you time travel. Yes. It's like brought me back to my yes. childhood. It's right? your ratatouille moment. Yeah, this my is ratatouille, ratatouille moment. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Does anyone, does everyone know what we mean when we say ratatouille moment? Have, has anyone seen that movie ratatouille? Rakakuni for the for the for the everywhere every everything everywhere all at once fence. <laughs> yeah. So there's this moment in the movie where the baddie, who's the restaurant critic, so goes to review this restaurant. He he goes in with the intention of really hating on the food. Um, the movie's kind of leading up to this this point, and there's this tension, and then the critic taste the ratatouille the camera like zooms into his face and his pupils dilate and it sort of takes him back to his childhood where you know he's living on a farm and there's animals running around and he's happy and his face in in like the present moment is all tired and it's like looks like a real evil Disney villain but goes back to his childhood and he's all happy and running around and, and, and eating this ratatouille and, and that's the those I love those because I have those moments all the time where you eat something and it or even you smell something and it just mm. takes you back to like this really clear memory of the time you first might have eaten that food or tried that thing. It's very visceral. Totally. You had that the other day. Your mum bought over some Hungarian stuff and you just yeah. stood there in the kitchen just eating it out of the yeah. thing just like off in another land. <laughs> when you Beautiful. stand up and eat, you know you are like <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. deep in it. It's yeah. so exactly. good. Exactly. So you have this song that you've released recently. It's called Obsession. And uh, the video for it is, is really beautiful. Can you tell us about the music video for this song that you made? I have to be really honest here and say that it was a very simple concept that came together quite whimsically, I guess. So my old housemate, Sean, at the time he had recently upgraded all his video equipment and wanted to test some stuff out. And he was like, next time you're cooking something epic, let me know and I'll film the whole, whole process. And I was like, can I use that footage as a music video? And he's like, absolutely. And so that's what we, that's what we did. Mm. Um, and yeah, I just, I just, I just was like, well, I'm going to hand make pasta and I'm going to mm. um, make meatballs from scratch and I'm going to, what do you want to film it? And he was like, yeah, sure. And then literally that's, that's what it was. He sent me a few revisions cause I was like, these are the moments we need to hit. Um, I don't know if you want to do time, like speed ramping for here or mm. there or whatever, but I'll leave it to you. And yeah, I think it was only like two revisions and then I was like, that's done. But also <laughs> like rewinding to the, the hashtag hot uncle shit on Instagram. Was that a video series that? That was. Yeah. yeah. So my good friends, Benita and Xavier, they're filmmakers and they kind of work together. They've done a couple of video clips for me now and I've always liked working with them because they're like, they produce good quality stuff there's no pretension working with them and it's just, they're just lovely friends. We often put these interviews into little sections, so we're going to have some quick nibbles. Quick fire questions, okay. first thing that yep. comes to mind. Who's your favourite cook? Roy Choi. Ooh. And who's your favourite artist? That's really hard. I'm going to go with Joji right now, yeah. And what's your favourite kitchen sound? Sizzling. Yes. Favourite kitchen smell? When rice wine hits hot oil and it, and it, yeah, it just, it releases an aroma that's very specific. Can you describe it? It's the smell, it's part of the smell or one of the notes that you get when you like 
go past the Chinese restaurant and you get a whiff of something and you're like, I don't know what they're doing in there, but it mm. smells insane. Yeah. So, you yeah. can get that at home just by putting rice wine in hot oil. <laughs> Excellent. Any specific type of oil? Usually just clear vegetable oil is vegetable. my, yeah. is my yeah, the most neutral possible. Mm. Yeah. What is the latest thing that you've learned to cook? The thing that I nailed recently was that Malaysian curry that I was talking mm. about that my mum makes, but I make it with heaps of salt and fat. So, <laughs> all I, the good stuff. No yeah, judgment. Yeah. That sounds glorious. Yeah, I don't. I don't hold back with that stuff. Let's unpack this term, starving artist. Sure. So if there's anything that comes up for you or you want to share relating to that, go for it. How do you feel when I say starving artist? I feel typecast. I feel like there's some unnecessary pity that that comes with that term. Mm. There are some elements of it that are kind of true because there are a lot of times in my life and there will be where I'm like quite poor and I have to like scrounge. But then I'll also spend a lot of money on food because it's worth it to me Absolutely. for my happiness. Yeah. And for the happiness of my community too, because I want to share it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's what, that's what I think about when I hear mm, starting mm. off. Having said all of that, have you in the past or can you think of any ideas how artists could be supported, not just in making better decisions or, or decisions around food to, to kind of break that, that starving artist feedback loop, mm. but also maybe if you have anything personal to share around that in, in your life. I have some pretty strong views about structurally being a, being an artist and what, 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 what things mean like I mean for one government support is always lacking in terms of the arts in this so-called country anyway specifically for musicians like venues think that booze is what we eat <laughs> they try to fuel yeah. our performances with booze and it's like if you replace that with like a healthy meal that would be just so much better you get off stage at Midnight or whatever, right? Yeah. Everything's closed except for McDonald's or mm. kebab stock, mm. which which I, I love a kebab. No, don't get me wrong. But like, I don't want it every time I perform. Yeah. And if there was just like a container of biryani that I could heat up in the microwave, I would be so much happier than a beer. Like so much. I don't want a beer. I want like, you know? I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. yeah. So, and so that I think I would love that to change mm. because... Yeah, booze is great, whatever. But, like, it also sucks. <laughs> yeah. I mean, in theory, it wouldn't even be really hard to implement, right, as a venue manager to have some vegan, vegetarian and meat options. That totally. It don't cost much that mm. they can pull out of the fridge and give to you mm. and microwave up for after a set. Some venues do a really great job of feeding you before your performance. Mm. That can, like... Sometimes stunt your performance because you're too Puts you to full. Sleep. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I appreciate that. Do you know what I mean? Like, and so, say for example, shout out to the Workers Club Geelong. They put on this huge barbecue spread for artists that go down to play for, with them. Yeah. Unfortunately, Workers Club is done as a venue now. They're just a barbecue joint now, which is really cool. <laughs> that worked out really yeah, well. Yeah, that worked out for them. But like they made sure to feed you. Mm. And it's like if you couldn't get through it all, you, they would put it in little takeaway things so you could have it afterwards or whatever. But That's great. Big, it's a big deal for me, food, as you know. That's mm. why I'm here. Yeah. <laughs> you know, when people say, like if you say I'm a musician, people are like, oh, yeah, so what else do you do? Because art's not a real job. People don't see it that way. So... Yeah. Was there any point where you were like, I'm not a starving artist anymore? Nothing material has ever come to me yep. um, from an external source that's yep. like, yeah, I'm going to help you out. Yep. But I draw a lot of inspiration from probably unintentional mentors. Yep. Like when I end up hanging out with or working with musicians in their 50s, still doing it, yeah. um, I think to myself, they've managed to provide for themselves and sustain a career for this long, mm. that means I can do it too. Yep. And they've seen 20-odd more years of life than me, and they're fine. 
like, yeah, they're working hard and things might be a little tougher or whatever, but it's like they, they exist and they have a roof over their heads and a car and, a, and they can still make music. And to me, that's like, that's a lot of fuel for me to keep going, to do what I do. Yeah. And are you full-time as a musician, as Yo, or are you doing other things to keep yourself afloat? Uh, I am now full-time freelance. Um, I have done that before in my life, did it for, probably for about six, seven years, but then as everyone else has, we've all been affected by the pandemic, so, yeah. And how do you feel about that idea of sharing that you do something else apart from the, your art and your craft? Because I know a lot of people, there's a bit of a stigma around being like, I'm an artist, but I also do this, and it's always, but I also it's an interesting dynamic where as you get older and more mature in a creative sense, you don't, I almost don't want to be just doing my stuff all the time because I get tired of it um, or I get bored of it or I fall into the patterns that just keep rinsing themselves and, I'm, and, and it's not fun. So um, going into bread and butter work for someone else is sometimes really good because you're still earning income you're practicing your skills but it's not for you it's not about you and to just evacuate that space for a moment so you can come into it refreshed is good sometimes you're tired out by the other thing and burnt out so you can't work on your own stuff but Mm. you can't have everything yeah i really agree and have like a very personal thing around that as well where recently I was looking for work uh, and not getting much and um, I thought great I have all this creative time on my hands to do all this stuff this is going to be great I can be a full-time musician but emotionally it just didn't go that way and I recently got some part-time work and feel so much more creative because of it because I don't have to be worrying about doing or making creative choices that might have to lead to some sort of monetary payoff. And I know in the past where I've had other work, I'll be thinking about music the whole time. (laughs) And then when I have tons of time on my hands, I, I can't bring anything creative out. But I think it just shows how cyclic things can be. And totally when you can move in and out of having some stability, which is great to set you up for the times when you don't have stability and you can really dive into a, a more full-on creative thing. That really resonates mm. with me, what you said. Yeah, it's true. Like, I've, I've experienced those exact things. And creativity is a fickle beast. It just, <laughs> it just wants to do its own thing. It's so frustrating sometimes. But, yeah, you can't force it. No, you can't, for, you can't force it. Also, I think it's really important to break a lot of those stigmas around having, you know, whether you call it a side hustle or you call it your day job or whatever you, you know, the thing that puts food on your table. I think talking about that and celebrating that is really important because I found that I don't know many full-time artists. Everyone's doing something else because they need to and that's okay. You're not a failure if you're doing something else. Totally. Like literally I think I know one full-time artist. Um and that's great too. Like, I don't know how that we got to we've got to get them on the podcast and be like, "How did you do it? Yeah. Um, where are yeah. you hiding the gold?" Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, I think it's really important. And then it's really expansive too because it means that it takes a lot of pressure off you to not have it all worked out at a certain age or a certain point in your career. It's like you know, it's okay. Mm, like yeah. superannuation can be a good thing. I don't have any, but you know. Oh wow. <laughs> Yeah, that's deep, isn't it? Yeah, mm. it's a so, whole thing. So many issues. It's a lot to unpack there. But no. Well, you touched on the structural stuff. Mm. Has been a diminishing well for some time. The funding pools are just getting more competitive and mm-hmm. less resourced. Luckily, I do think that the conversations are changing. And that's really good. Like you said, breaking down the stigma of doing other things. And also relating to food, I think there's way more information out there. And just like in recent, maybe it's post-lockdown where people have just become really obsessed with food and cooking uh, and like going to markets and finding produce and all of that. I just, I love that there's this knowledge that you can eat well and it doesn't have to cost you heaps and heaps of money. Um, So that I think is a really positive change. Uh, in just 
like what's out there for artists or people with fluctuating budgets mm. um, that that they can look seasonally like the Guardian now publish every couple of weeks like what's cheap at the supermarket, cool. what's seasonal like what weather events have affected the farms up north which have made like cabbage for instance at the moment is super waterlogged and gross so it costs more money because they've had to throw away half the crops but that's like in the newspaper now it's nice yeah. that, that i didn't know that that's really cool yeah, yeah, yeah. so i mean maybe with the rise of netflix cooking shows and there's so much more food entertainment uh and food knowledge being kind of talked about mm. more than maybe i don't know i wasn't paying attention a couple of years ago maybe um but it's kind of everywhere now yeah, and yeah. hopefully that information can be funneled to people in a way that could they they could really use it. Mm. Speaking of that, mm. I just want to bring up that that it's really important to be cognizant of the fact that to be able to cook is also a privilege, like to have the time. So this is a really great series uh, by Nadia Hussein on Netflix, mm-hmm. where she teaches you how to like make delicious stuff, but in no time at all. Because some people who are poor are also just working their asses off. So, they don't have time to like sit there and simmer a chicken stock like I do for two hours. Like that's, I get that. So, it's hard. It's hard to eat healthily when you don't have any time. Like, but I, I do really hope that the positive shift that you're talking about is something that is truly happening because information is disseminated so much quicker these days and and easier and Yeah. 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 And that the conversations are changing. I think you're right about that for sure. Yeah. I think also the way we value art has shifted a little bit with lockdowns because when people have had a bit of a whinge to me about the arts in general and how it's not important, I'm like, what did you do during lockdown? Yeah, you watched a What'd whole you bunch do of stuff. Yeah. When you stopped baking banana bread? Because people went to food and then they went to cultural activities such as crocheting took off and then movies, books, everything. And so it kind of shuts them up quite quickly. But, um, yeah, I I hope that realising that we rely on so much of that, those cultural activities and um, ideas and items as well, um, hopefully, yeah, we're changing a lot of um, chats and conversations and stuff around that. And if not, we all learnt to bake banana bread. I, I didn't actually. I didn't either. Yeah, <laughs> he did. That's he did. Nice one. Oh, thanks. I, I can say I achieved something through our lockdown. I baked banana bread. Hey, I learned to tattoo. Hey, that's cool. Mm. That's good. That's cool. That's another side hustle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, another one to add to your. Yeah, anyway, so everyone line up and you get a free tattoo. Um, so, this idea of time poor eating, but also cash poor eating, is if you find yourself on a really tight budget, what's your go to healthy? <sighs> Thing. And um, you've got like 50 of them. We've got time. I don't have a lot. I sometimes I'll make it unhealthy because I just <laughs> want to eat something yummy. But I like to scramble eggs with tomatoes and fish sauce. And that's yeah. kind of the simplest, quickest thing that I can make that's relatively healthy. That's relatively healthy. And then yeah. like I'll eat it with a bunch of pickles or like, Yum. or just make a fresh salad. But that's usually cheap uh, and quick and you just eat it with rice. and yeah. yeah, It used to, you know, when I was younger, it would be a tin of tuna with rice, but that's awful. Like you can't, <laughs> you can't eat that every week and ex- you expect your guts to be happy. So, yeah. When you do find yourself rushing around, time poor, overworked, burnt mm. out, do, do you feel that really Im- impacts your eating and cooking habits? Yeah. Like I have to be quite honest in the last six months, I've, like eaten out a lot Hmm. i've eaten i've gotten takeaway a lot Uh, i've gotten delivery kind of more than i usually do i mean it's also a sign of the times i think but it does affect it does affect things uh when i struggle mentally as well yeah um even going for that grocery shop which i especially if it's a market i love going to the market but sometimes it's too i just the last thing i want to do yeah i don't know i can't explain why it's just a, a block can't seem to beat uh, when when you're burnt out, you know. Definitely. Yeah. And what's your the one thing that's going to make you feel better? If someone was going to make something for you in those times where you're stressed or burnt out or just can't deal or can't get yourself to the market, is there a dish where you're like, this is it? 
this is gonna be the balm for my situation. I can rec- look. I can recall a couple of times that like really lifted me. I got really sick one time. Uh, it wasn't COVID. I just caught the flu or something, and my drummer and friend Andy just dropped this giant container of spaghetti bolognese over, Aww. and I was like, "That's like that's love." Yeah. Like it's yep. so easy to just heat up and eat, and I don't have to do anything. He's already done it. Like that that kind of stuff. Yeah, legend, those, those big hearty meals that mm-hmm. just that you can eat for three, four days. It's like so helpful, so helpful. Have you cooked for friends with COVID and done a food drop off? And what yeah. was it? The one that comes to mind is I made um, wonton soup for uh, nice. a friend of mine and her family in uh, while well, they all caught COVID. It was like oh. um, her her partner and her child. They all got it at the same time. Um, and her partner's a vegetarian, so I was like, okay, I gotta just, I'll just make it vegetarian. And, and yeah, it's just that's like, beautiful. Mm. I mean, that that as a meal as well mm. is so soup. 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 It's very good yeah. for you. soup and COVID. Yeah. And what did you make? Because you, so he's oh been yeah, a, yeah, we we did a few food drop offs. Um, I always went for this Hungarian dish, which is called lecho. And it's essentially just capsicum and onion and tomato cooked for a very, very long time with lots of Hungarian sweet paprika. Oh, it's so good. Uh, it's, it comes from that, that idea of poor sick, sick people food yep. that you mentioned yep. before, which like a lot of Hungarian food is. Uh, and it, yeah, it really did feel good as a way to, you know, I, I sometimes struggle with, with, being consistent with text messages or like checking in on people but i know that i can show that love through food mm. really well and that that that's kind of my my way of caring he's a feeder i'm a feeder definitely <laughs> good person um, to know good yeah. person to know <laughs> you know where we live <laughs> speaking of covid and that side of things did the pandemic impact your relationship to food at all yeah i think well i touched on it a little bit before i think it impacted my mental health Mm. uh and then that in turn it kind of got in the way of my enjoyment of food for a little while um i feel like i've come back from that a a a fair way recently but you know you're unwell when doing something that you normally love like cooking is is not lighting your fire so to speak Everything's just too much effort. There was a little honeymoon period though. Like I was cooking a lot. I was like trying to perfect my own recipes of certain dishes. And that that was really fun because it was like something to focus on. And uh, at that stage, I was getting a small handout from the government. So I could kind of not worry too much about not working. Yeah. It's super hard. But now everything's come back and... It's just a little different. Mm. But, yeah, COVID definitely, it made things wavy. Was there any specific thing that you became obsessed with when you were in lockdown food-wise? Oh, well, so early on, around the same time Lee was doing pizzas. Oh, Lee's pizzas are incredible. Yeah, I was doing chicken rice. So I was, like, trying to nail that. And I got, I got pretty good at it. Um, <laughs> I just put so much time into it. Can you, can you share any secrets or tips that you'd be happy to give away? Oh, absolutely. I, there's no <laughs> secrets in food for me. I don't, I'm, not a, I'm not a TV chef. So. The main thing with chicken rice is to just like be patient with the, the broth because the broth is the thing that flavors the rice. Mm. To me, the broth is like the, the important part. It permeates everything, inc- yeah. including the chicken. Mm. Yeah. And the chicken's cooked in the broth? So what I do is I, I start with the water... And then I poach the chicken in it. And then I pull all the meat off the bones and then put the bones back in. Great for the broth. broth. Takes a long time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then you, I do that, but then I freeze that broth for the next batch of chicken rice the next time I make it. So it's always there and I can like quickly make the rice with the broth Mm -hmm. from last time. Mm -hmm. Makes fun too because that means that your chicken rice tastes slightly different each time. Yeah. Super nerdy. I love this. That's great. No, that, that's why we're here. That's why we're here. 
Now we're back to some nibbles. Okay. So what's your favourite utensil or gadget in the kitchen? I really enjoy straining broth with layers of cheesecloth and a strainer because it just makes things so clear and mm. like it's just aesthetically pleasing. Out of these sweet, sour, salty, spicy umami, which one are you? I'd probably be umami, I would say. Yeah, or mm-hmm. salt, one, mm-hmm. but probably umami, actually. Yeah. yeah. This is a big question. What is your Vegemite to butter on toast <laughs> ratio? I try and melt as much fucking butter into that bread as Amazing. possible. Amazing. And then I, like, kiss the bread with Vegemite. Just, mm. a, just a glance. <laughs> yeah. Can you share with us a kitchen disaster or a funny story that you can recall? <laughs> <laughs> I, I do... I did have a date once. Um, we'd been seeing each other for a, a while and it was the first time I was cooking for her. I was like invited Ooh, that's, her, her that's over to deal. my place. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and I was making chicken rice, my piece de resistance. <laughs> and while, I don't know how I did it, but while pulling, I think I was trying to be smart ass or something, but I was like trying to pull the chicken out of the pot after it had been poached without damaging the skin. So I was, for some reason, using cheesecloth mm. instead of just grabbing the thing with, like, a pair of tongs or something. Mm-hmm. And I set fire to the cheesecloth and it just, <laughs> like, <laughs> it's just this spectacular ball of flames. Um, the meal was fine. She said it was the best she'd ever had. And I was like, that's mm. better than anything I could. That's what you want uh, for a date, for. really. Yeah, yeah, but I was so embarrassed. I was like, this doesn't <laughs> normally happen. I don't usually start fires in the kitchen when I cook. It's like Sad. very, very date. Yeah, date, like, funny um, date vibes. Date it's appropriate. Like, best I've ever had and this doesn't usually happen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hey, memorable, if anything. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> so what's your cooking superpower? Apart from chicken rice, I feel like I might have answered that question. I think it's patience. Ooh. Yeah. Roy Choi taught me to look for the moment. Mm-hmm. And so there's a point when you're cooking and you're like, that's done. And mm-hmm. it, it's, it's either a visual thing or a taste thing. Most likely a bit of both. Yeah. Sometimes you just got to wait. Yeah. Sometimes you burn things too. But sometimes you just have to wait. That is one of the beauties of cooking, I think, Mm. is the sensory thing, but also the slowness, where it can be slow sometimes. Uh, If you could, we we love this one, excited for what you think. If you could recreate an existing artwork. (laughs) That's my favourite question. (laughs) No pressure, but. Out of food, Mm. what would it be? Uh, I thought this about this one a lot. Yeah, good. And I even tested it on an audience that I had dinner with. Um, but the, you know, the East Link Hotel, that fake hotel down yes. on the highway. Yes. I want to recreate that as uh, this Malaysian cake called Gwei Lapis, which is like mm. a very painstakingly layered cake. Of like egg, sugar, butter, and like pandan flavoring. Wow, it's delicious. You're only supposed to like when you buy it. You buy it in this big rectangular loaf, which mm-hmm. is why it would suit the shape. And it's already it. layered. It's already layered. Yeah. And then, and what you're supposed to do is cut off tiny slices of it and enjoy that with a cup of coffee or a tea. Yeah, that's it. And then you put it away. But Yum. I can sit there and like eat a third of the whole thing. Oh my god, that sounds <laughs> divine. I mean, so this sounds like it's actually quite doable because you could just buy the cake and kind of carve it out. Yourself. Turn yep. it turn okay, into a hotel. Yeah. Yep. Uh, yep. Keep us posted on that. Okay. Yeah. We will link photos of both of those things uh, in our show notes so okay, that cool. people can have a look because that yeah. that's incredible. <laughs> that's so good. We asked you to think of a recipe that you want to share with us. Can you tell us what that is? Yeah, I'm going to go with the steamed fish because it's quite simple to steam a whole fish mm-hmm. but it's also super visually impressive it's when beautiful you, when yeah. you do it so yeah I, I i had done it as part of the hot uncle shit series mm-hmm. but um it's just amazing that you can steam a fish without any salt or fat or anything like that so you just steam it so it's steamed 
and then you cook the sauce separately and then just pour it over and then all of a sudden it just turns into this flavor explosion Mm. just like bizarre how that works is there any fish that you'd recommend using for this uh, white fish that's in season. You don't have to be too yeah. fancy about it. Like mm. here in Australia, it's probably, or in Melbourne, it's probably like a fresh snapper if you can find it. Yeah. 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 Bass uh, works really well. Yeah. Bass. Who? Sorry. Bass. <laughs> Classic musician. Wow. Uh, slip of the tongue. I'm a bass, I'm a bass player. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like you really are in this recipe. Uh, who was this the last person you cooked this for? Probably the hot uncle shit team. Oh. Yeah, I think that's the last time I made it. Yeah. Is there anything specific to this dish that if we were going to make it, we really need to think about or nail or be aware of? Be meticulous with your julienne of the ginger and the mm. spring onions because like thinner strands, more surface area, more mm. aroma, flavour, mm. etc. Yeah. So you, mm. you do simmer the sauce with those things already, but then you use the green parts of the spring onion as a fine julienne fresh and then the sauce just kind of quickly singes it and you pour it over it and Mm -hmm. it it just releases all this stuff with the steam that's coming off the fish it's crazy yeah (laughs) i'm so hungry now and actually as you were talking i could smell something something's (laughs) Uh, cooking around here. yeah something good's cooking around here Mm. uh what are the flavors you really want to like go for in this dish like how do you know you've done it well i think salt is probably the main one yep um, but it is balanced by a bit of sugar, like mm-hmm. in the in the sauce. Uh, a lot of it is the smell combining with the the like the the fish is quite the texture as well. Like the fish is supposed to melt in your mouth a little bit. Yeah, it's like the fish becomes this vehicle for the salt. What would you serve with it, or is it just one big perfect thing? Plain white rice. Plain white steamed rice. None of this brown rice bullshit. Like just <laughs> steamed white long grain rice. Mm, yeah, that's beautiful. the one. You heard it here, folks. <laughs> and what are you drinking with it? A nice delicate Chinese tea, like a jasmine tea or bu'er is good. Or a white wine. That's not nice. bad as well. Mm. If you want if you want some booze. Mm-hmm. Or even a cheap Chinese, like a Tsingtao is good with that stuff. Yeah. 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 Incredible. So talking about these ingredients that that you'd have to kind of go out of your way to find, are there ingredients that you particularly will go out of your way for to track down, to go extra lengths for to find? Yeah, I mean, usually when I'm exploring. So I recently also learned how to do a lot of Ecuadorian dishes because after my trip to South America. Yeah. Mm. And they use this seed called anato. Which is also used in Vietnamese cooking, but it's, okay. it's just like amazing finding all these crossovers as well. So I just bought like a big pouch of anato seeds. And what I didn't know is that you actually are supposed to use it to flavor the oil and then you throw the seeds out afterwards. Yeah. And you can also just buy the oil in a jar, which okay. I should probably just do that because it's like way easier. Sounds like you're the person that wants to do it from scratch. Though. I kind of do sometimes. You're a from scratch person. Sometimes, yeah. Well, most of the time, yes. But like I couldn't find that stuff anywhere in the north mm. and then I found it in Footscray mm. yeah a lot of it's by accident like sometimes I'll see f- fresh plantains and I'll be like oh, I've never used those before <laughs> usually it's frozen and like really yeah. kind of you know it's a 50-50 as to whether it turns out so mm. I just grabbed fresh plantains and like learned how to turn them into a dish um, but going out of my way I think for most people, even visiting an Asian grocer can be a big deal. So for me, that's just normal. I'll just go in there and yeah. there'll, be on, there'll be things that I can only find in there yeah. that you can't find elsewhere. So, yeah. And speaking of going out of your way, what's your favorite market and how far will you travel to get what you need? Oh, I think my favorite market is still Preston Market. So I live in Footscray now mm-hmm. and I love Footscray Market. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. It's awesome. Mm-hmm. It's got so much stuff, even some stuff that Preston doesn't have. Um, but Preston's got size and mm. it's, op- it's like almost open. It's pretty much open air. It's yeah. like out yeah. in the air, whereas Footscray is like a dank kind of building. Mm. 
I was surprised by that. Well, I've only been quite recently and I was really surprised by how small it was, mm. but so densely packed. Just dense. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes you can't escape the smell of blood being washed down the drain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I fell in love with Dandenong Market the first time I went there. That is also like, it's a combo of open air and warehouse. It's massive and the prices are cheap as, and it's like, they have so much cool stuff down there. So, Dandy's probably second on my list, I'd say. Yeah. I've been told about other ones. I really want to go to Laverton. And uh, I went to St. Albans once and that was freaking cool. It's even smaller than Footscray, but it was like, Really high quality produce. Yeah. There's no duds in there. Mm. Do you like to eat at the Footscray Market, or are there spots uh, around that area that you've recently discovered that you like to eat? Footscray in general is ridiculous. Yeah. Footscray Market has, in my opinion, some of the best like bun me you can get. Oh. Um, there's decent like empanadas there. There's like really really good. I had a fur there, which was delicious. I had a great fur there. Yeah. 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 And I, I was surprised because it's... Mm. But also, not really. It's cra- it's crowded. Like, mm. it's busy as hell in there. So, yeah. It's just, it's just not... Some people would look at that and see the food court and go, it's not the most inviting place to, to hang because yeah. there's these bright white fluorescent lights and, mm. like, it's kind of a bit dirty. But to me, that's, like, this is going to be good. Exactly. <laughs> to me, yeah, it's this gonna is going to be great. Yeah. <laughs> So, we have one last question for you. Yes. It's a tricky one. Take a breath. What's for dinner? Uh, so, I'm going to watch the football tonight. <laughs> and I have a friend coming over to do it with, but I we have not decided. And it could... She has this... I'm not gonna, I don't want to out her too hard, so I won't mention any names. I but say, she, we can always call her live. She's got... <laughs> unfortunately, she's got this severe allergic reaction to, like, colouring that makes food red. Oh, So, yep. Yep. anything paprika, pepper, yeah. capsicum uh, related, out, which mm. is a lot. Yeah. So, I don't know. Maybe we'll go for, like charcoal chicken or something I, I love a good chook yeah <laughs> perfect note to end on love a good chook yo thank you for being so generous with your insights and experiences and um just a general appreciation of food and art it's a real pleasure to watch you cook to listen to you talk about food and um thanks for coming to chat with us the pleasure has been all mine asked me to talk about one of my favourite things on the planet. <laughs> so, thank you. I feel like we barely scratched the surface. I know. We might have to do an episode mm, too. Yeah. <laughs> Reprise. Um. Yeah. Thank you to 260 and Sightworks for having us here. Thanks, Emma, for taking thanks, photos. thanks, Emma, for our wonderful photos. And babysitting our and, naughty dog. And thanks to everyone who um, played with Squeak. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he comes to every interview and always manages to cause some sort of disruption. So... <laughs> Glad today was no different. <laughs> At least he's consistent. Um, thank you so much. Enjoy the song. Thank you. If you loved listening to this as much as we absolutely loved making it, you can leave a rating and a review in the podcast app that you're listening to right now. There's lots of info about Yo up on our website and that includes his recipe. And if you make the recipe, please let us know how it went and you can share it on social media and hashtag the name of the recipe and tag what artists eat. Thanks for listening. See you in a fortnight. <laughs>